Welcome to the Eyes Up Mindset Podcast, where we explore what it means to grow daily and find our best in every aspect of life. Welcome back to another episode of the Eyes Up Mindset Podcast. I'm John Shirky here with my friend and co-host, Jamie Wagner. Jamie, another awesome episode that we can't spend a ton of time introing because literally the, the meat, the juice that's all there into the conversation. But before we get there, how you been? Dude, I ran 10 miles yesterday, uh, kind of as the, the culmination of this summer running. Project. Two things. I'm super proud of you and you're crazy, man. It was challenging. And coach actually talks about this in the interview. Like got to do things that challenge us, got to do things that push us. I'm, I'm not super pleased that I made that choice yesterday. And I'm also really excited that I did. My point is that coming into this conversation today, I was a little bit like tired, wore out, mentally kind of spent. And the value of the conversations that we have is I'm on like cloud nine on fire, mine on fire, hard on fire. Right. And when those two things line up, I can't wait to bring it to you. Daniel Jones joins us today. He's coached all over the world at all different levels. He's a head volleyball coach at Montana State University, which is just down the road from me. I, incredible dude. Uh, cool conversation. Anything else you want to add, Jamie? Or It's going to grow you, period. Like, Be challenged by it. Enjoy the challenge of what he's talking about because at the end, you'll hear him talk about perspective. When we can flip that perspective to say there's something really valuable in this, even though it pushes me, we now choose to grow, and that's a choice that we can make every single day. I, I would get your pen and paper ready. I would even maybe encourage you to break it up into a couple sittings because there's just a ton of stuff. I took five pages of notes myself, Jamie, so I'm excited to share it with you guys. Let's get after it. Coach Daniel Jones. Coach Daniel Jones, Montana State Volleyball. Welcome to the Eyes Up Mindset Podcast. Thanks for having me, guys. This is uh, I'm excited to do this with you. No, I, you know, you and I had coffee, uh, man, it seems like yesterday to me because it keeps going through my head, but it's maybe a couple of weeks ago now. And I left that conversation. And I came back and I told Jamie, I'm like, we got to get him on. He gets it. He buys into what we're doing. I can't wait to hear him speak to how he's building his team, his culture and, and growing the people around him. So I've been excited about this conversation for, for quite a while. Coach, just briefly touch on, I know you started kind of in New Zealand, and in case people can't hear the accent, I mean, it's just a little bit different than our Minnesota accents, but uh, started in New Zealand. You know, you've been kind of all over in all levels in terms of, of coaching from, you know, college, Utah Valley, Utah, now you're at Montana State. I know you've done stuff with USA Volleyball, that sort of thing, but just tell us a little bit briefly about your kind of your journey and how you got to start to be the head coach at Montana State. Oh, gee. Okay. Uh, I'll keep it as brief as I can. Um, basically, I, I did uh, my education down in New Zealand. My, my university was I did in New Zealand at, at a university called Canterbury University. I, I did a specialized physical education course um, with a Bachelor of Education. Um, coming out of that, um, well, I guess to back it up even before that, in high school, my PE teachers, I had two PE teachers in high school. One was a sports psychologist for the All Blacks rugby team. Um, and so he kind of cottoned me on. And he was still teaching at the time, but he's since gone full time uh, with sports psychology. And, 
And he's a man who changed my life in many ways. And he's one of the reasons I wanted to become a PE teacher. One of my other PE teachers um, was the head coach of the uh, under 21 national volleyball team. And so volleyball was a big deal at our high school. And, and um, Gilbert Anoka, who was the sports psychologist and went on to work, is still working with the All Blacks. He was also into volleyball. And so it was this kind of volleyball environment growing up. In New Zealand, you don't grow up necessarily playing volleyball. You grow up playing rugby. Um, and so every little boy in, in New Zealand grows up wanting to be an All Black. And so that was my dream. Um, you know, I went off to college to become a PE teacher after um, you know, my experience in high school with, with Mr. Anoka, as we called him. Um, and uh, he, um, when I was at, at college, I was playing rugby and, and I had some tryouts for some semi-professional teams, but I was really skinny. And I ended up breaking my, <laughs> ended up breaking my back playing rugby. And I, you know, the whole nine yards, I was kind of paralyzed for four hours. Um, went bodyboard into the ambulance, off to the hospital, super scary stuff. And I was like, I'm not at the point where I'm really ready to commit to rugby to the point of giving my body up for this. And I'm not going to make a million dollars doing this. So, hey, let's go. Let, let's find a non-contact sport. And that's where I really fell back to volleyball. And so I started playing a little volleyball, started coaching a little volleyball uh, whilst I was still in, in college. And then um, when I went, got my first job, was in a different city in the North Island of New Zealand, one of the biggest schools in the country. I had no idea when I got this job, but I walked into one of the best high school volleyball programs in the country. And we ended up winning the national championship that year. I went as an assistant coach and, um, you know, and, and learned a ton about volleyball and a ton about the culture of the sport. We won a national championship at the high school level in New Zealand. And that just lit a fire in me. And it was like, man, this sport is, this, this sport kills it. And um, so I got into coaching more and more and more in New Zealand, um, ended up taking over that program. Um, we ended up, we didn't win another national championship, but we ended up with the runners up and then they have like a junior national championship as well for basically, um, instead of doing it like a varsity and JV, like you do in the States, they do uh, certain age groups. They do it by age groups more and more than varsity and JV. And so we had a third place finish for a junior varsity um, program and nationally. And, and I just like, man, this, this sport kills it. I love it. Um, in the midst of my coaching, um, I get one of the guys I coached with uh, was a married guy with, with kids and, I get contacted by him and says, Hey, Utah Valley university from America is going to come over and do a foreign tour to New Zealand. Do you want to kind of help me out and host them? And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> you know, like here's me at like 25, 26, hang out with a bunch of, you know, American college girls and, and, and be around the game of volleyball. And that was the thing for me. It was, it was less about, you know, being around the team. It was more about being around the game. And so I spent two weeks, I, you know, I hope my old boss isn't listening to this, but I called in sick for two weeks and being like, yeah, the throat's not right still. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, and uh, just traveled around New Zealand with them and, and had the assistant coaches in my car the whole time. We just talked volleyball, talked life, you know, all the things. And I was like, man, there's so much for me to learn and grow in this game. And so at that point, the next year, I stayed in touch with them when they left. Um, the next year, I was like, you know what? it's time for me to go throw my hat in the ring with volleyball and let's see what we can do with it. And so I quit my job in New Zealand and uh, bought a one way around the world ticket. And so I don't know if everyone's aware of this, you can buy a around the world ticket where you buy so many stops and you, you can buy seven stops, five stops, nine stops, 11 stops. And I bought a seven stop ticket. First stop was LA landed connected with volleyball people. And um, you know, just again, just immersed myself in volleyball. Um, I couldn't get a visa to stay in the States after that period of time, um, you know, because I came in on a three-month visitor's visa. 
hope I'm not going to incriminate myself with the story. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, came in with a, a three-month visitor's visa. At the end of my three months, I went out to Canada because I have family in Canada. Again, just kind of pursued the volleyball thing. Um, my next stop was Toronto. My next stop was London, the UK. Um, and again, just wherever I went, I just tried to immerse myself in volleyball and learn and grow. And, and that's kind of been the hallmark of my journey, I guess, is just that desire to learn and grow and, and like, hey, I don't know everything. Someone else knows something different to me or something more or, or whatever way you want to phrase it and, and just pursuing that growth. And fortunate enough, over the years, I was able to come back, to, back and forth to the States in 2010 um, Beth Lanier, the head coach at Utah, contacted me and said, hey, we know about you because of the things you've done in the States. Are you interested in applying for this position with us? And I was like, heck yeah. And I was like, <laughs> and the, originally the position was a GA position. You know, it yeah. was kind of like a data analyst, um, video analyst, GA position. And I was like, yeah, I don't think I can get a visa on a GA position. And she goes, don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. Just come over. And I'm like, okay. So here's me flying back to the States. And I'd been back and forth to the States three or four times at this point, um, flying back to the States, but I've given up my life in the, because I was living in London in between times um, and given up my life in London and literally moved everything to the States for a promise of, yeah, we'll sort it out for you. You know, and that's the risk I was willing to take. And I landed, um, you know, they did, they sorted out my visa for me. It, you know, that's probably a $25,000 ticket in and of itself to have a university sort out your international visa for you. Um, and my first year I made $3,000 total for the, for the year. Cause it was a GA position. They flipped into kind of this visa and cash, you know? And so I got $3,000 and I was sleeping on couches, but I was, lo I was loving life, man. It was, it was awesome because I was just doing volleyball 24 seven and that's what I wanted to do. And so it's been kind of a progression from there. Um, Beth at Utah took incredible care of me. I, I was with her for four years. That first year, like I said, I was, you know, kind of rubbing rocks together to find a meal at night sometimes, but she, she, uh, she always took care of me. And then um, they, they, when we transitioned to the Pac-12, my second year, um, it kind of the money flooded in. They were able to make my position full-time with benefits. And so, okay, now I can breathe, you know, now I can live and, um, and so I was still in this data analysis, uh, kind of video position when, when it's a director of ops position, still with a desire to coach. So I was doing stuff on the side, coaching junior club volleyball, stuff like that, growing there and coaching a ton of summer camps. Um, you know, just getting my reps as a coach. Um, and then, uh, you know, I met my wife, we got married. Um, and she was also an assistant, she was an assistant coach at, at Utah Valley. And so the joke goes that we got married, I got her pregnant, and then I took her job. <laughs> <laughs> and, and which is the way it went, you know. Um, and so I took over her position at Utah Valley for one season. Um, in that time, uh, the assistant coach at Utah, who I've worked very closely with, we had shared an office and kind of sat six feet away from each other for three years. Uh, JJ Riley took the position up here at Montana State as the head coach. And he called me and said, bro, do you want to come do this with me? Because we had talked for years about doing something together, you know. And I was like, heck, I'm there. You know, I'd only been at Utah Valley for eight months. It was a little hard on my wife because my wife played at Utah Valley for four years and she's the all-time assist leader there as a setter. And then she went straight into coaching for seven years. So Utah Valley kind of ran through her veins, you know, mm -hmm. and here's me giving it eight months and I'm out. Yeah, so not, <laughs> only, not only did you take her job, but then you moved her out of there almost immediately. I moved her to Montana. She's from Las Vegas. And she's like, Montana, really? You're like, what? <laughs> um, but, you know, we, we came up here and then, the journey up here has been wild, you know. Um, and, and let me stop you there because I think we'll get more into the Montana State specific stuff. But yeah, 
I, I couldn't help but thinking, you know, a couple of episodes ago, we had Dr. Rob Bell, sports psychologist, uh, author, and he talked about hinge moments in our life and how, and you, just hearing you go through that story, for one, you, you to be able to be ready for those hinge moments where the door opens and you're ready and you're willing to take that chance, you know, whether it's buying the round the world ticket to hosting those college coaches and just immersing yourself in that. Um, what a, what an incredible story and lead up to that. Jamie, I, I can't help but think because of big, of our previous conversation, you know, he started talking about the high school stuff, the New Zealand youth sports stuff. I know you had a question about that. So I'm going to let you just go right into that. So for those of you that are unaware, don't have a huge background in sports psych, like the all blacks are the epitome. They are the pinnacle of team sport period internationally throughout history, maybe the most prolific dynasty in team sports of all time. Am I wrong yeah. in saying that? A hundred percent. I think they have something like an 84% win rate over 120 years. It's incredible. Right. And one of the reasons, one of the reasons that when you dig into it is they have a culture of excellence founded on some sports psych principles. And so you got to be immersed in this from really young, really just being fortunate to have a guy that works with them be your coach. My, my question in some regard is we look at youth sport in this country, and I think we are screwing it up in some ways. I think we've made some mistakes and poor choices along the way. How was your experience around someone like your coach that you spoke of, your FIAD teacher that you, you spoke of. And then just the culture of the All Blacks kind of trickled down into the psyche of New Zealand youth athletics. You talked about everybody wants to be an All Black member and all these sort of things, but how do you approach sport and maybe what is different about your youth experience compared to what you see in the youth experience here? Yeah, that, that's a great question. You know, and no one's ever actually asked me that. So I think I would start start my story in being that I, I lived in Australia for eight years and I, and I participated in youth sport in Australia as well. Yeah. And then to go to New Zealand, it was just different and it felt different. And I, it, it was hard as a youth to put my finger on why it felt different. I think because everybody felt like they had an opportunity because New Zealand is such a small country. It's a country of about 4 million people. And everyone felt like they had an opportunity to be elite. There was no question of it. You know, and so it was just what you did on a day-to-day -day basis. Like, um, you know, it's, it's kind of like you see videos or you, you hear stories of soccer players coming out of Brazil and they've always just got a foot at their uh, a ball at their foot. I apologize. A ball at their foot where they're just kicking balls around. My, me growing up was, I don't remember ever going to school without a rugby ball tucked under my arm. And we're just standing in the, in the playground, just flipping it around. You know, it's just like, hey, how, how's your weekend flipping a ball around, you know? And so you develop these skill sets and it's not oh. structured. Yeah. It's unconscious almost, right? Oh, completely unconscious. And it's like, and then you, then someone does something kind of tricky, you know, a backhand flip or something like that. And then everyone else is trying to do it. And it's just like, it's not the structured, Hey, we're going to practice. And, and don't get me wrong. Youth sports are organized. There's, there's organized youth sports, but it's less, it's more about the skills you develop in the playgrounds. You know, it's, it's like we talk, I think America's world famous for it from a basketball standpoint. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and I think that's the biggest difference for me. I don't, I mean, even from a volleyball standpoint, going to a volleyball high school, the number of kids who just be in the playground peppering, you know, like just, hey, 
pass it, hit, pass it, hit, back and forth, just two kids. And they're talking away like it's no big deal, you know? I, I love this culture in like soccer, what you're talking about with rugby. I hear this at a volleyball school in New Zealand. Potentially the same thing is true. Like I can't tell you, I, I had some friends that played soccer right after I got out of college and I'd go to campus with them and like, they just in a group of four or five, they're just passing the ball around playing like, and they're collegiate athletes. So that's part of it. But it's like, it's this, it's like flick the ball this way, do it that way. See if I can do it. Like just this casual unconscious and like i i think it builds love right I, it builds passion oh. it builds excitement and enjoyment in a way that maybe this structure doesn't no 100 percent. i think allow like i i haven't been in the high school system here in the states the way i was in new zealand or in the uk um in terms of being a teacher so i i can't speak i can only speak from observation but do we allow our kids our, our young adults, a youth to be in the playground at school and throw a ball around or, you know, hit a ball around or do whatever. Or is the teacher coming out there going, Hey, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, like let's, we're going to hurt somebody. Or we're going to, you know, like in New Zealand, the school nurse was busy the whole freaking time because <laughs> like, I'll never forget. So this is a great story for you. I'll never forget. We played full tackle rugby at lunchtime. Okay. And I, I was naive at one point. And there was this kid who went on, his name's Jerry Collins. You can look him up. He went on to become a famous all black. He, he since bless his heart died, passed away in a car accident. But, but it was like, then the, I didn't know who he was. I didn't know what he was about, but everyone kind of had a sense. He was, he was kind of bigger than everyone and all that kind of stuff. And here's me trying to tackle him in the playground at lunchtime. And I just get like completely bowled over, but everyone's hyped about it. Cause I tried, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. and, and it's just kind of the culture that we grew up in where it's just like, Hey, go compete, go have fun. And the teachers weren't out there over monitoring it. Now, I'm going to tell you now, 20 years removed, 25 years removed, it's probably more monitored and everyone's a little more concerned about concussions and all those things, which is rightly so. But, um, you know, I'll never forget, we bull rush. Uh, do you guys know what bull rush is, if I, if I say that? It's like every, there's one guy in the middle and everyone lines up and runs across and you have to try and tackle one person. Then there's two people yeah. and they all run back at you. you got to try and tackle them. I don't know what to call that over here. Like Red Rover, but we just play tag. We don't tackle people. We just oh go yeah, no, touch it was, it was them. Old, no wonder, no tackle. wonder they're better at tackling than us, Jamie. <laughs> but it was like so, I, I remember when that got banned because kids were getting knocked out. <laughs> so, so let's bring that kind of concept or that idea more to the present. In what ways do you pull some of that freedom that into your program right now? How do you create those same sort of love passion moments, right? Because at the division one level, we were both division three athletes. I played some division two sports for a little while. Like it can feel like a job. It can feel like not fun. How do you create some of that in, in your world? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I think it's something I'm always striving to, to figure out. Um, we, I think with the constraints we have at the division one level in terms of countable athletically related hours, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, we're, we're limited to eight hours at certain times, 20 hours other times. Right now in the summer, we're not allowed any hours. Um, and so you, you feel like you've got to maximize those hours. I think the game of volleyball is pretty cool in the sense of the premier skill in volleyball is reading the game. So to, to learn how to read the game, you've got to play the game. And so we do a lot of playing the game. Um, of course, we train the skills and break them down and those things. But, um, you know, there's opportunities to do, you know, two on two on a narrow net. So you, you're limiting space to force more control of the ball 
but you're still forcing them to play the whole game. Like they've got to pass it, hit over a net still. Um, you know, the, the pepper sequence I talked about in terms of the playground, we'll, we'll do that almost every day. And just, you know, and, and for me, it's seeing, I'm still in awe of the athletes I get to work with. You know, I, I'm like, whoa, yes, let's go, you know? Like, because I walk in the gym and, and it's like, these kids are better volleyball players than I ever was, yeah. you know? And it, to me, it's about, yeah, keeping that passion ignited. But I think the way we focus on that, keeping that passion ignited is more around our culture and more around um, having a common goal that we're working towards and a vision that we're all clear on. And then we're all accelerating towards that point rather than just making it fun. Because at the end of the day, we all know in this, in this world, they know their playing time has, has made decisions made on wins and losses. They know my job is on the line in terms of wins and losses. So there is a more business-like approach, but the joy to me comes from having something that you're doing bigger than just wins and losses. It can't just be about wins and losses. Well, that's, that's like the story that goes around about the, the New England Patriots and how a few years ago, Coach Bill Belichick was getting a lot of heat for you know, do people actually want to be there? Is it fun? Like these are professional athletes, let them kind of, cause he's got a lot of structure and a lot of rules and expectations. And I think, you know, somebody wrote on the whiteboard, one of the players. So everybody came in, they got to see, and it's like winning is fun. And not that everything is about winning, but like winning is fun. And how you get to the winning is you have a common goal. You have a culture that says, Hey, we're going to work with this, with each other together and we're going to pull in the same direction. And, um, that's pretty cool. Uh, and I want to get into that, but I, I can't forget this and I will, if I don't go to it right now. So I hate pulling okay. you back, but you kind of casually flippantly said, we grew up thinking everybody has an opportunity to be elite. It just yeah. depends on what you, that that's something I think, you know, and not that I didn't ever think I could be good, but I, I don't know that I grew up thinking I could be elite. So Talk, talk to us a little bit about that. Like, where does that come from, from a societal standpoint? How did, or, and, or how do you even try to recreate that in even a small version? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, it's a great question. And I see partly my role here in Montana, I'm just going to diverse for a second, uh, you know, get off track for a second, but I see partly my role here in Montana. Um, is the lights okay? Sorry. They just went out. <laughs> You're fine. Um, partly my role here in Montana is as one of the only two division one coaches in the state is to help the game grow. And I think whenever young, young kids see people who look like them, sound like them are from areas they're from become elite. They're like, I can aspire to be that. And so the fact that we have a kid in the, on the team from a small town in Joliet from a graduating high school class of 23 from a small town called Ennis from a graduating high school class of not even 20, I don't think you like, they start to think, oh, I can do that. And then it gives them hope. And I think this similar thing happens in New Zealand where everybody knows an all black because New Zealand is such a small country. And then if you, with the Olympics going on right now, if you look at the Olympic medal table, I think New Zealand's sitting like 10th or 11th out of every country. We have no right to be there as a country of 4 million people, right? But everybody knows an Olympian. Yeah. In some way, and if it's not you know them personally, somebody knows somebody who knows the Olympian and you rub shoulders with the Olympians when you walk around the city because that's, they're just normal people. And so I think that's where the mindset comes from. And New Zealand, I mean, again, this is, this is, this is a ridiculous thing. I'm going to get my soapbox about New Zealand for a second. But New Zealand just won the Cricket World Test Championship. So New Zealand is the best cricket team in the world right now. And cricket doesn't mean anything to Americans. I totally get that. But to put it in perspective, 
who did they beat to get there? They beat India. What's India's population? One point something billion people. New Zealand's population yeah. is 4 million people. And so what happens in New Zealand, it's just this mindset of you growing up. I want to be a national cricket team player. I want to be an all black. I want to be an Olympian. And there's someone close to you or not too far away from you who has shown you the path to walk to get there. And so you just feel a connection to it and a sense of pride. I don't know if there's, like you talk about patriotism. I don't know how patriot, patriotic New Zealanders are, but sure as hell, we're proud to be New Zealanders. Yeah. Does that make sense? Like it's mm -hmm. a difference for me between, hey, um, you know, I, I, I get the sense in America sometimes that the patri patriotism is like, hey, I'm going to spill blood for my country and whatever I think is right. And New Zealand's military service and things like that is, is all peacekeeping. We don't really have an arms, you know, arms forces. So I don't know how that connects, but there you meet any New Zealander in the world and they'll talk your ear off about New Zealand because we are so proud of where we're from. You know, and, and so it's, it's this combination of, of colliding of factors. I think it's, it's the fact that you have an example in front of you almost everywhere you turn, a sense of I can do that, a sense of like having PE teachers who are all black sports psychologists. It's like, yeah. where does that happen? Yeah. New Zealand. <laughs> well, and, and so now my question becomes, how do you recreate it in your program? How do you develop something where you are? And I say this all the time, like we have to have models. We have to show people what is possible. And that's exactly what you're speaking to. And for any coach out there, like, and I, I went on a run yesterday and we're having this conversation in the middle of the run. It's like, when the coach does the work with the student, the athlete, they show them like, this is possible. Having someone win a state championship in your program shows them this is possible for us. People like us can do this thing. How do you then instill that from a place, you know, if you read about Montana State Volleyball, there was a time where it wasn't very good. And awful. in fact, awful, right? And you've taken that in a relatively short period of time to say, no, 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 we don't have to be that thing, even though that was our model. How do you create models out of nothingness in some way? Yeah, a great question. Again, for me, it, it, it begins and ends with culture. You know, that you have to have a clear set of standards. And you talked about Bill Belichick and having a big rule book and things like that. I think I have like three rules in my program. I don't even know how many rules because it's a handful. It's not many at all. And they're usually around things like, hey, we're going to go to class. <laughs> you know, <laughs> this is the most basic thing. And then it's around living out the values of the culture. And if you don't fit, you, and what, what I found very quickly is if you're not willing to buy into being something bigger than yourself and a set of values that are beyond what is in your face that moment, because I think that's what we, the challenge we deal with in the age group we we live in and the age we live in and also the age group we deal with is the 18 to 22 year old people are very easily drawn to whatever's in their face at that moment and you've really got to work hard to set a set of values that say hey this is what i'm about therefore this is what's most important to me therefore i'm going to make a better decision in this moment than i would if i was just drawn to the the bright sparkly thing that was right in front of me and so in the evolution of the program there's there's been two goals for me and i've, I've said these pretty publicly so Number one has been sustainable growth. I haven't wanted to get superstar athletes in who are knuckleheads just to win. It's all been about character for me. Like, are you a good person? Like I always say to recruits, I can tell if you're good or not in about five minutes. 
at volleyball. Okay. I can tell whether or not you can play in my gym in about five minutes. What takes the time is getting to know them as a person, figuring out their character, figuring out what their background is, what their family pours into them. And, um, and that, that's what takes the time. And then it's like narrowing down your recruiting pool according to who do you want to be in your gym. And um, I got to tip my hat to Cole Ozzy, my associate head coach and recruiting coordinator, because he's done a phenomenal job of not only putting great athletes in front of me, but putting great young women in front of me that allow, have allowed us to accelerate this. But again, it's not about their skill or talent level. It's about the culture that they bring with them and then their willingness to buy into the culture that we've created here. So, so what are, what are, yeah, go yeah ahead, you know, you were just, you were talking about, so the, the values that you live by that you model, what yep. you said, you have a couple and I, you know, as again, as you were talking, we just, our most recent episode was uh, coach uh, Mike McElroy is a defensive football coach in at the school we went to actually, he talked about this concept of choose us, right. you know, it's choose us, you know, in those moments where the thing that's shiny in front of you, I could do that but it's not choosing us because it's getting us off the road going into the ditch, like the whole thing. But so I just a, a light bulb moment for me, but tell us a little bit about what, what are your core values at Montana state and how have you instilled them? Yeah. I, I think the thing I'd, I'd start out by saying for anyone listening or watching is whatever your culture is going to be, the head coach has got to drive it and it's got to be meaningful to the head coach because if it's somebody else's culture, then you're going to be struggling in the moments where you need to open your mouth and speak authentically and passionately. You're going to be struggling because you're going to be trying to think with how would somebody else say this? Cause it's their words, you know, and I spoke at the Montana coaches association clinic the other day. And I just said, I can show you and talk about my values all you, all I want, but you've got to go away and do the work to figure out what your values are. And so for us, the, the vision for the program is so the overarching thing is to build the legacy of Montana state volleyball. And the way we've defined building the legacy is to leave it better than we found it. And so this thing of sustainable growth and, and continual growth is every year we look at what has our growth been like from the win-loss column, maybe, but also what has our growth been like from an academic standpoint, from a retainment standpoint, from you know all these different measuring points you can point at and say, hey, are we truly leaving this program better than we found it? And then um, the way you leave it better than you found it is to live out our six core values. And our six core values start with character. Number one is character. And the way we define character is, is pretty simple. It's who you are when no one's watching. Are you going to do what you said you would do when nobody's watching you or forcing you to do it? Are you going to make the maybe hard right choice over the wrong easy choice? Um, are you going to be the one who says, hey, I need this extra few hours of sleep rather than going to the party or going to the movie or doing whatever? Are you going to be the one who says, hey, if I am at the party, I'm only drinking water or soda because I know alcohol is going to have a detrimental effect on my ability to perform tomorrow or the next day. So character. Number two is integrity. Integrity, we define as we own what we think, we own what we say, and we own what we do. Okay. And so that's a really important one for me with young people because nowhere in there does it say, hey, integrity is get it right. It doesn't say that. It says we, we own what we say, we own what we think, and we own what we do. And so I don't care if you make mistakes because, hey, guess what? Making mistakes is one of the best place, best ways to learn and grow. So if you make no mistakes in your life, you're living a pretty safe and narrow life. So go make mistakes, big, make big mistakes. But when you do, I want you to be the one telling me about it, not somebody else telling me about your mistake. Um, you know, and then there's room for conversation and growth, you know. But if, if, 
if we lack integrity and we're trying to hide our mistakes or we're trying to blame somebody else for our mistakes, or if we've got these thoughts rolling around in our head that we're going to the locker room and mouthing off about and looking for someone to sympathize with you and get in the corner and talk about it, it doesn't help move this program forward. It doesn't leave it better than you found it. You know, and so own your thoughts. If you've got issues with playing time, who's the one person who can who can help you understand your your issues with playing time? It's not your teammate. It's not your mom, your dad. And they love you. Don't get me wrong. But they're likely to tell you something like, yeah, coach is playing favorites. Or yeah, you know, like it's, 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 it's they're going to give you a message that comforts you, but doesn't challenge you. And how are you going to grow and get better? You're going to grow and get better from challenges. So integrity is huge. Um, toughness is the next one off the bat. And, and I, I really ummed and art about toughness because I was like, is that what I want in my program is toughness? And I was like, no, what I want in toughness, and this is where I, I love our definition of toughness because it's not like the ability, it is not the ability to do a pain or, or hardship or anything like that. Toughness for me is controlling the controllables. The toughest people in the world Ignore the distractions, focus on their task, and they go for it. They control the controllables, and they just don't get drawn away from it. When, so when I've got, we I've got in, three more, but you ask questions. I, I just, I'm, I'm sensing it. I just want to jump jump in quickly because I think there's something to add on to. I think that hem and haw about toughness is real, right? Because we don't want to say you have to be willing to endure something dramatic. And in college, our coach used to say, like, we want to remove softness, right? That, that kind of being the definition of toughness is like, you can have the ability and the capacity to say no, or I can't endure this, but don't come at it from a soft place where you want to shy away from something, but rather lean into that piece and meet it, you know? And so toughness, I love that you guys have defined it differently because it's not the thing that we all think when we hear the word toughness. I, lo- I love that idea of like control the thing, right? And choose it, right? That's that thing. Come back to choose. Choose to battle with this thing rather than to shrink from it. Choose to control it rather than to let it control you or whatever, whatever the language is. It's so powerful just to, you know, and we're a mindset podcast, right? Like we, we yeah. want to challenge the way that people think just that little flip, that little switch in the language that we use can be so powerful to say, I can say, I can't handle this right now. That's not a lack of toughness. That's a, that's an acknowledgement of, I might hurt myself or I might do something irresponsible right now. The difference is I, I met the challenge and it, it showed me I wasn't up to it. Yeah. That's okay. You know, cause that yeah. teaches us and it grows us. Well, and I think to speak to that, one of the things that isn't a value, but I think I speak about often with the team. And I know John, we spoke about this the other day when we had coffee is vulnerability. Like, and, and, in the, the man's man's world of like toughness, you don't show any weakness. You don't show any vulnerability. And to me, vulnerability is, is the, is the juice, you know, it's the gas that, that you pour on the fire to, to make an amazing team. And for me as a head coach, it is my responsibility to model vulnerability. And so I'm the, and integrity, you know, if we define integrity as only what we've done or what we said, there's been times where I've got the team together and in the heat of the moment, I've said something completely inappropriate or stupid, right? And if I got the vulnerability to own that and the integrity to own that and say, hey guys, I screwed up in that moment. Can you forgive me? If, you, if we've got to sort this out on a one-to-one basis, let's do it. But I don't want that, what I said in that heat of the moment, getting away from us being successful as a team. And I think so many uh, people in life, and, and I know I've done this as a coach over the years as well. This is my growth, right? This is where I've grown to. 
is no, I've said what I've said and I, I'm right. I'm not apologizing for anything, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but, but the reality is when I'm vulnerable with the team and say, Hey, I screwed up or I need help with this or, you know, like, Hey, can you keep an eye on this for me? Because I, I don't see it. That's when we become stronger as a team. No longer are we people, if you usually, uh, I had someone show me this in church the other day. So it's a visual thing, but I'll try and describe it because I know there's a podcast. If you push your fingers and your palms together, that can be like two people facing each other and working with each other, right? And it's kind of this opposing strength. But when you bring vulnerability into it, the fingers become interlocked and it's unbreakable. Whereas when you're just palm to palm, finger to finger, and you're just like opposing each other in some way, I can, I can take those hands apart any moment. Fingers locked together with vulnerability. Heck, that, that's a group that's not coming apart over anything. And, and that's, again, where it comes back to modeling behavior. It comes back to, you know, living out the values that we have. And, you know, I, I can talk about this stuff all day. So cut me off. <laughs> well, let's, let's, let's get to your last three. So you got character, integrity, toughness. What are, what are the other yep. three? Uh, commitment. And we really simply define commitment as doing everything, everything you can to be the best you can be. And the neat thing about that definition for me is it's always expanding. You know, um, well, and, it's, and it's different for everybody, right? I mean, it's it- 100%. Yeah, it's, it's different for everybody. And then as a, as a freshman, your commitment level is this big. And then you, you go through your freshman season and you realize, oh, heck, I can do this much more. <laughs> and you, you get there. Oh, yeah, I'm doing everything I can to be the best I can be. And the end of season meeting with the coach. Hey, we see these other areas you can grow in. And so this is ever expanding thing. And it just doesn't. It, it keeps us uncomfortable for me if we're really committed in that definition. Um, and again, when we're uncomfortable and the edge of our abilities, that's where we grow. Um, so it's, it's, it's pretty important for me that, and then the last two um, selflessness um, and our selflessness definition is we put the ambition of the team before everything else. Um, and so, and that's, a, that's, the, I think that's the most challenging thing for athletes in general in a team sport is the sense of, hey, I, I need to put aside my desire to be the star player because let's face it, every athlete at the collegiate level was the star player in their high school program, their club program, whatever at some point, right? Um, I want to put aside my desire to be the star player. I want to do way better at just being doing my role, doing my role and putting the, and making sure if I do my role, the team is going to get what we want. And it's not about me getting what I want. It's about the team getting what we want. And so putting the ambition of the team ahead of my own. And I think that's the most challenging one to implement, to reinforce. I think my biggest growth as a coach is still in role definition and role implementation um, so that our athletes have the comfort of knowing my expectations of them on a day-to-day basis. And then they get to live out and fill that role the best they can in a selfless manner. So before you go, say, say some more about that. What does that look like? Or and how are you growing, right? How are you growing in that, in that way? Cause yeah. I'm really curious about that. Cause I was just talking to a coach yesterday about like, how do you communicate that? Well, how do you show them yeah. what their role should be? How do you grow them in that role specifically, even though their weakness might be in a different role than what they're still going to experience on the court, you know? Yeah. I, I, I think it's the, to me is like, I, I was saying to John the other day, the X's and O's are so easy, right? Like, and the thing is, there's no wrong or right with X's and O's. You can have a, an offensive scheme, a defensive scheme, whether it's volleyball, basketball, football, whatever sport you want to say. And if you train it, you're going to be good at it, whatever. Like, so I, I'm so like 
I don't want to say I'm over the X and the X's and O's because it's still a critical part of my job. But for me, learning myself, how can I be the best coach in modeling these things, um, you know, our, our values? How can I be the best coach in, for these individual young women to help them grow is my growth. And role definition and upholding the standard of the practice gym are the two areas I know I need to grow in. Like we've gone from this thing, you know, when I arrived, we won three matches our first year. We cleaned the roster out. We've rebuilt it from the ground up. And now we're finishing top three in the, in the conference and we're competing for conference championships. How do we get us from that top two or three now to the top one and then become the top one to, hey, we want to become regionally elite, not just, you know, like good in the Big Sky Conference. I want to go play Washington State and give them everything they can handle. I want to go play University of Washington, give them everything they can handle. I want to go play, you know, Boise State, give everything them that they can handle. And so, and if you look at our schedule this year, we're, we're full of teams like that because that's the goal. But what I'm realizing is um, it's not about the X's and O's. It is about the execution in the gym. So the practice culture needs to be elite. And therefore, the standards of expectations need to be clearly defined. And then I need to hold those, our athletes to those clearly defined standards of, of behavior and expectation. And then in terms of role, ex, role explanation, this is where I, I just haven't been good at I'm going to be really frank. I have not been good at role explanation. I've ummed and ahed. I've What I've realized is my, one of my big personal philosophies in coaching is this coach from a place of love. And the trap I've fallen into is coaching from a place of love meant like making them feel good the whole time. Oh, I'm worried about hurting their feelings. Okay. But that's like a Disney fairy tale. It's not reality. You can't, you can't coach like that. You've got to come again with integrity and character and speak to these young women as adults and say, Hey, here's why we're not choosing you to play this role. Here's where I need you to grow. This is the role I need you to perform on a daily basis until you've shown me that growth. When you've shown me that growth, we're going to meet again or maybe, you know, like to me here's the thing. And one of the, the, the core skills of, of mental skills, uh, one of the, the core functions of mental skills for me is goal setting. Okay. And I really dove into goal setting this summer and I'm excited to dive into this fall because all of a sudden you're asking, I think, what do you want? Oh, I want to be a starter. Okay. What do you need to be a starter? Well, I don't know, coach. Well, I can tell you statistically, you need to do X, Y, and Z to be a starter. How do we get you to that point statistically? Well, we need to make these adjustments to you technically. And tactically, your understanding has got to be this. And maybe physically, you've got to go do this and grow a little bit in this physical area. But the goal setting allows me to have a framework now where I'm able to hold those athletes accountable to what they want. Number one, they, they've said they want this. Number two, here's the roadmap to get there. And I think with goal setting, we often, we, hey, what's your goal? I want to be a starter. Great. Okay, next conversation. No, okay, what's your goal? Let's break that down into a daily achievable task that you are going to do, whether it's watching film, lifting weights, hitting balls, passing balls, so that you have an opportunity to go fulfill your goal. And then I get to bring in and say, okay, we set a goal. You're going to pass 100 balls three days a week. How's that going for you? Oh, coach, you know, I only got it in once last week and I missed the week before. Okay, so is that a realistic goal for you? Yeah, it's realistic. I'm just not prioritizing it. So how much of a priority is it then for you to be a starter for me? Yeah. It just opens up this really clear line of communication, clear lines of expectation. And then you're able to say, okay, you're not going to start 
but here's the role I need you to play. I need you to be the best practice player. And I need you to be an example of getting those extra reps because you're hungry. And if you really want that role, you're going to be the kid who's bugging other people in the locker room. Hey, can we get in there early today and do this and do that? And so I, I think, um, man, I think that's such a huge thing that coaches miss. And I, you know, I think about my, even my own coaching, looking back to coaching football or basketball or baseball, it's like, okay, here's what I need you to do today in practice. You know, as a, as a third string running back, I need you to run our scout team. I need you to do this to prepare and having that explicit conversation instead of it just being, nope, this is the role we put you in. You should know yeah, what we want out of you. We shouldn't, but, but then the next step is, okay, here's how you get to the next level that you want right now. This is where you're at. Go do the thing that I need you to do right now, but you also give them, Hey, here's what, here's what else I need for you to get to the thing that you want. I love that. No. And, and I think what you're doing then is, is you're empowering the athletes to take control of their own experience. And you're saying, Hey, if you want that experience, these are my expectations. And then you're holding them accountable to, to what they want. It's, it's no longer a top-down thing of you're not good enough to have the role you want. It's, a, it's an inward-out thing. Like it's, an, it's, it's an intrinsic motivation of, I want that role. Coaches told me what i got to do. Now, am I motivated enough to go do what coaches told me I need to do to be able to earn that role? Well, and you've, you've built in the values to align to that where you said the goal, right? The one goal that we have as a team is to leave this place better than we found it. Right. So my decision-making comes back to, am I doing what coach has asked of our team to do, which is to leave this place better than I find it. So if I play my role at the highest possible level, right, we're going to leave it better because now somebody else has to come and chase the standard that I've set. Right. And then, okay, how do I do that? You know, we break it down into, and I just got done reading a book called the art of impossible by Stephen Kotler. And he talks about impossible as a checklist. It's a daily checklist, right? He's like, if you want to do impossible things, you got to step up. He's like, peak performance is a daily checklist. That's it. It's that simple. And I'm like, I just love that idea because frankly, it's what you're talking about. How do we, you know, like, and we've done work with groups where we say we want one decision to make our next thousand. And what you you've said is we're going to set a standard that then allows us to make every decision come back to that one. Right. Am oh, I doing 100%. the best I can so that I leave this place better than I found it? I, it's just incredible for people listening out there. Yeah. And I think Jamie, to speak to your point about that one decision, right. And that one thing you're going to focus on that, that, that takes a lot of toughness <laughs> to be so dialed in that, that, Hey, I don't care if my friends are going to the movies. I don't care if they're going to, you know, to the lake. To, I am so focused in. I look, there's, a, there's a volleyball player on the U.S. national team, Jordan Larson. She's the captain right now. She's one of the leading players at the Olympics. There's a great podcast with her. and She spoke about in her youth, her parents presented her with opportunities. And they would say, hey, yeah, you can, you can go to the prom or you could go get some extra reps. You could go, you know, and then I'm saying, you know, we shouldn't go to proms like this is like an individual decision right like you could go to that party or go on that weekend away with that family or you could go to this tournament and, and get more reps and get more practice or go do speed and agility instead of going to the movies or and and it was like it's your choice there's no judgment from the parent in that moment it's your choice and what do the elite athletes choose yeah. they're so focused in on that one thing she knew she wanted to be olympian at the age of 10 she says so she was so focused in on that there was there was no choice it was, it was like, this is what I'm doing. I'm doing the things that my friends maybe aren't willing to do 
to become the, the person that I want to be and they won't be. Well, that's one decision to make a thousand, right? Because it's not even a choice anymore. You've already made the decision. You've already opted in to say, we're going to leave this place better than we found it. I'm going to be an Olympian, right? I've yeah. chosen that. That's my choice. Yeah. So I'm going to do everything I can to fall into that line. And uh, it's powerful. Yeah, and, and it's scary though, right? Like you think mm -hmm. about for a young person, I'm going to put all my eggs in this basket and I'm going to do everything I can to become the best I can be. How scary is that? Because you look around and there's all these other people doing fun things that make you feel good in the moment. Are you willing to make that sacrifice for a long-term gain? Is, is, your, is a classic, uh, if I forget who said it, but it's, you know, are, are, you, are your decisions you're making today aligning with your vision for tomorrow? And I think for, for young adults and for us to understand as coaches, that's a pull every day for them. That, that like to make the right decision is hard you know, and not just to go, Hey, I'm, I'm going to skip out on this and go do that. Cause it's more fun. Or, and, 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 and the other thing I'm very conscious of, and this is only elevated now that we've got this name image and likeness stuff going on, that these, these young adults live in a, in a social media, instant gratification world where their life is constantly compared to the person who's having more fun than them, than doing something more, you know, like shiny than them. I, I don't know how to describe it, but you know, it, it's, it's that, it's that thing. And, so I think when, again, when we're recruiting, I bring it back to, I look at not only the athlete and them as an individual, but what are their families pouring into them? You know, are their families making their life easy the whole time by bulldozing everything out of the way? Or are they coming from some hardship? And, and this is where I'm going to be pretty blunt about this. I really like small town kids because they know how to work. You know, like small town kids, they're playing three or four sports, They've typically got to work on the family and the family business. You know, they've got to do something, you know, so I like small town kids. I like teachers kids because teachers kids won't cut them the slack of, Oh yeah, go ask to take that test again and get an extra grade. Teachers kids will be like, no, you suck. You didn't do the preparation. It's on you. You need to work harder. And then coaches kids are the same way. And I think, uh, you know, when you find that magic mix of an athlete who's internally driven, and their, their external factors force them to be internally driven, man, the, the sky's the limit for those kids, you know? And so, and, and don't get me wrong, we've got kids in, on the roster from big cities, good family, you know, I don't want to say anyone's from a bad family, but you know what I mean? Like good situations, lack of hardship. Those are the ones you just got to dial down a bit more on the recruiting and say, what are you really about? Yeah. You know? Um, and so, because I think one of the challenges we face at the college level is, people set their goal at i want to go play college sport you know d1 d2 d3 naia it doesn't worry to me i want to go be a college athlete but they don't have a goal beyond that right and there's a as a, a famous all black um named richie mccoy maybe the greatest all black to ever play okay and there's is there's a short film about him i don't know if you can get it in the states i ordered off a dvd off new zealand because i couldn't find it in the states but there's this clip of him at McDonald's with his uncle when he's like nine years old and he's and his uncle's like what do you want to do with your life he goes I want to be an all black like every little kid in New Zealand right and his uncle's like well how are you going to do it <laughs> it's not just like oh that's cool nephew you know that's cool Richie he's like well how are you going to do it and he dials down and he sits up writes out this list of goals and he sticks it on the back of his cupboard and at the bottom goal was not just to be an all black it was to be a great all black and that's my challenge for athletes when they walk through the door is when we talk about leaving it better than we found it, we talk about the program. Yeah. You want to leave the program better than you found it. 
We talk about leaving each other better than we found each other, challenging each other to be better people. We talk about leaving your jersey better than you found it. So you inherit jersey number one, for instance. The, the, the young woman wearing it right now, Shayla Weber, who I spoke about earlier from Joliet, Montana. Okay, She inherited that jersey from Sydney Matheson, who was a four-year great athlete for me. Um, you know, Didn't have the career maybe she envisaged for herself. But she, Sydney Matheson is one of the, I'm going to get emotional, is one of the key reasons we are what we are today because she was so selfless in her pursuit of excellence. And, um, and so we do something where it was, you know, I, I get emotional thinking about it because it means that much that we do something where we did it for the first time this year, but I'm going to keep doing it because it was so impactful where when we have our summer camps, I want to employ my alumni to do my summer camps with my current team. That has two things. Number one, I know I'm getting good coaches. <laughs> okay. Number two, um, they're fully invested still on leaving this better than they found it. So they walk in, went to do summer camps and they're like, right, coach, I'm going to leave that kid than I found her today. And there's this little eight-year-old kid who's learning how to play volleyball. And that's my alumni saying that. And my, my, my current team are like, oh, crap, this is not just a, something we talk about casually. We live this, right? And then one of the most impactful things we did was we had alumni present their jerseys to the new freshmen and say, hey, this is what it meant for me to wear number 10. You are now the keepsake of number 10 for the next four or five years. You need to leave this better than you found it. Yeah, right? I got chills right now. You know, it's, it's gold. And you said something a little while ago that making the tough decision not chasing the shiny thing is scary. It's hard to do. It leaves you on an island because you put all your eggs in this basket. You don't know if it's ever going to be enough. And what you've just described is a place and a culture that allows people to take that risk and to know that they're not going to be alone, you know, and to know that I have somebody, I have a, uh, you know, a cloud of witnesses, right? I have this group of people around me to say, you are here. You are one of us. You belong and you're good enough. And like that in itself should give you the freedom to take tremendous risk, to be the best version of yourself. Cause you don't have to be any more than that. Right. And so I like, I, I also could speak to this all day because I still have chills thinking about this moment when a freshman gets to be honored, right? You, the first thing you do to your freshman is say, we honor you by giving you this Jersey because it was someone else's someday. Yeah. Right. And I'm grateful to be in that position. And now I bring gratitude to the process and it's, uh, it's powerful. And I have a million questions, but it's great. <laughs> no, and, and, I, and I think the thing is we talk a lot about, like I have a poster outside my office and it's our all-time Jersey poster. Okay. And it's, it's the most basic thing in my mind, but it's literally, it's got a picture of every Jersey number that's ever been worn in the history of Montana state and a list of every athlete who's worn it. And so what the reason I do that is I want them to realize they're kind of a, a gatekeeper or, or the caretaker of that jersey for that four or five years. There was a ton of people before them. They're bottom of the list. But guess what? In 20 years' time, there's going to be a ton of people after them. And they're the, the light shining on them for four or five years. How are they going to use their four or five years to elevate the standing of that jersey? Um, you know, how, how is this team this year, 2021, 
going to use this season when the light's shining on them this season? Because this is the unique thing in collegiate athletics is every team is different. Every year is different. It's very rarely that you have the same team two years in a row. And so this team has an opportunity to say, okay, 2020, we did this. And we went through some gnarly stuff with COVID and all of it, right? But how do we take what we achieved in 2020 and then leave it better than we found it, make it better? And of course, we all want to say it's the wins, losses. We all want, and that's what the public sees, right? But to me, it's about the relationships. It's about the hardships and the vulnerability we go through. Because what I say to the girls is Montana State has never won a conference championship in volleyball. So I'm sitting in the field house right now. There's all these banners hanging. We don't have one. Okay. And so we're striving to get a banner in here. That that's, you know, that like that's we can, I'm gonna make it very public. That that's what we want to do. But the internal conversation we have is, yeah, sure, the banner's going to be great. It's going to be, it's going to be there for everyone to see. We're going to celebrate in that moment. You're all going to get rings. We're going to do whatever to celebrate. But guess what? In, in 5, 10, 20 years' time, when you walk in to see that banner, what, what are you going to remember? It's the relationships. It's, it, it's, it's the hard times you go through. It's the challenges you went through that to get us that banner. The banner is not going to be anything in the ring. It's going to have the, the reason a ring is so valuable because you're able to put it on whenever you want and look at it. It's like my wedding band, right? Like that wedding band is a reminder to me of my dear wife and the love that I share with her. If I put a championship ring on, that's going to be a reminder to me of that team, that one team that got it all done and the journey that we took to get there. Not just, Hey, we've got a, we've got a ring and a trophy and a, a banner. I mean, if it was just about the ring and trophy and the banner, this would not be worth it. It's about the journey to get there. And, um, you know, so it's, 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 again, I think it's, as coaches, it's important that we're modeling what's important. If I say, Hey, we're going to get a championship and we're going to go just do whatever we have to do to win a championship. Guaranteed. That's when you get into these compliance issues guaranteed. That's when you get into the culture issues because you're taking a risk on a kid who's really talented but it's a knucklehead, you know? Well, and you might, you might be successful at that at some point, right? There's a lot of people that do chase championships or wins or whatever at the cost of what though. And I think that's, you know, all those values that you talked about, you can't do that and live those values. Um, Jamie, the good news about this, I know you have a million questions cause I can I see, you, I can see your brain going coach. The last thing you said to me in the parking lot of the coffee shop was, yeah, let's, <laughs> let, let's do it before the season starts, which was coming on the pod. Um, and then let's do it again sometime after so we can check in. And you can, you can hold me accountable to where did we get to with the goals? Where did we get to with our, our season? So maybe we can reserve some of those questions for the next time you uh, join us for a conversation. Perfect. Perfect. The one is one thing I've got to address before we go. Yes. And it's our final value. And, and we talked about selflessness. The sixth value is perspective. And perspective to me um, is almost like a superpower, okay? And perspective to me, we talked about it earlier, Jamie, you mentioned perspective. I was like, oh, I like that word. <laughs> and because if you're able to take any situation and we define, to give you guys the definition of perspective, we define it as the days are long, but the years are short. Again, it's a catchy little phrase. I don't remember where it came from but it's something that stuck with me forever. Cause it's kind of like, you know, you, you do your, your, your dog days of, of preseason and it's like, man, this is a grind, right? Like it's a grind for the athletes, it's a grind for the coaches, the training staff, the nutrition, like it's a grind for everybody. 
And it's so easy in those moments to focus on, man, this is the longest freaking day of my life, you know? But if we have perspective and we're able to flip it and say, but this year is really short and this team is really special and there's such value in what we're doing on a daily basis, then it just ignites a fire again. And you rather than getting sucked into, I'm tired, I'm sore, you know, the kid in the lockers next to me is, is complaining about whatever, whatever, you know, like, and you're able to, to just fire it up. And perspective to me is not so much about the days being long and the years being short. It's about there's two ways to look at any situation. There's a head and there's a tail. Which do you choose to look at? Because one of them is going to be positive. One of them is going to be positive that you can get that positive outlook on and say, hey, you know, I, I can... I can see that differently. I, I can see that. Okay. It's going to take me a minute to get there, but I can see it. And then as you slowly, you know, you self-talk as another essential skill in the mental skills toolbox, self-talk of like, okay, I can get there. I can get there. I'm getting there. I'm getting, you know, and, and you start repeating mantras to yourself, you know, whatever you want to use to get yourself there. And all of a sudden your mindset's flipped and instead of dreading what's next, you're excited about what's next because you see the value in it. And, uh, and so these things, just to, to summarize, I guess, these values, I could point, it, it, I've just said about the days along the year, sure, I don't know where it came from, but I could talk about every other value and say exactly where that came from for me. And so they're deep personal meaning for me. Like the fact that the whole leave it better than you found a thing, that's from my dad. Yeah. You know, my dad, when I was like eight or nine years old, we're at a guest, someone's house, we're staying, we're there. I was playing around with a TV remote and I lost the little back cover, you know, the battery back cover of the TV remote. And my dad was upset about it. And he said, look, there's, son, there's one thing you need to remember in life. When you go to somebody's house or you're in somebody's present, you leave things better than you found them. And I'm like, as an eight or nine-year-old. Yeah. You know, and that stuck with me. And so that's the foundation of the culture. So again, I started out by saying, when people listen to this, make sure the culture is authentic to you. It's got to be. It's got to be deep-seated. It can't be my ideas. It can't be Coach Wooden's ideas. It can't be, you know, like everyone loves the, the, the pyramid, right? Like, wouldn't pyramid of success adapt it, make it your own for sure take pieces of his that really sink deep to you or align with what you think but don't just carbon copy and hope it's going to work for you post it in the locker room and hope that's going to pay off you know these things when you talk about culture it's it's not about you know a, a, a graphic on a wall or a, a page in a book you know in terms of a team manual the culture of your team is literally how you live like you should be able to walk into my program and talk to my girls and have a sense of what our culture is. You may not know the, the, the values and the definitions, but you should be like, Oh, they're good young women, man. They work hard. You know, like those are the indicators you should see in my program because they're living out the values. Um, I say this to coaches too. Like you're going to start hearing your language, come back to you. You're going to start hearing the stuff that we just talked to you about. You're going to start, if I went and talked to some of your athletes and they had no idea that I'd ever talked to you or had this conversation with you, I'm going to start checking off pieces on here. That's, oh, that's from coach. That's from coach. Right. And then you know that you're making a positive influence. You're, you're creating change, but it doesn't happen unless it's real. Right. Craig, Craig Rochelle is a leadership podcast. He said, people would always rather follow a leader who's always real than one who's always right. And uh, you're living that in a really cool way. And, and the values just, I don't know, man, I, I've been effusive in my praise and I, and I mean it. Um, I just, I'm, I'm grateful you were sharing with us today because it's really 
uh, a powerful message to, that challenges me to think about how I'm living my day to day. Also, even though we are in a deep alignment, it's still a challenge, right? It's oh. still a challenge because we make mistakes and we fail and we fall short. Jamie, it challenges me every day. If I'm asking my kids to live with high integrity, like I'm 42 years old, right? I've lived my life. I've made a ton of mistakes in my life. I've made all the knucklehead choices that an 18 to 30 year old can make, right? And I just did it while traveling the world and having fun. <laughs> okay, but when I look at my team and I'm saying, I expect you to live with integrity, mm -hmm. they're not going to do it if I don't do it. Yeah. You know, if, if I challenge my team and I, I expect you to be prepared for this match, and that means you have to act with character and do the preparation when no one's watching you. If I'm not doing my preparation when no one's watching me, are they going to do it? Heck no. Yeah. You know, yeah. and so it is. It comes back to me, me being able to be authentic and vulnerable with it, me being able to model it authentically, own my mistakes when I have mistakes, because I do, because I'm human, you know, and then then we have a chance. I'm not saying it's great. I'm not saying it's perfect. Like we can espouse this and wrap it up in a bow and talk about it really nicely. The nitty gritty of the day-to-day -day is messy as all get up, you know, but when you have these guiding values and guiding principles that you lean back on, there's a safe space to fall back to every time. And again, though, they have to be authentic because when the crap's hitting the fan, my emotions are going, you know, I've got steam coming out my ears. I need to take a deep breath. I need to create space between the stimulus and the response. I need to say, what do I want my response to be? I want to leave this kid in this moment better than I found her. How am I going to do that? Okay. Tap the desk a couple of times, think, breathe, and then respond rather than being, Hey, one to a hundred, you're an idiot. Whatever, you know, like yeah. giving them the, the emotional response. And that's my responsibility as an adult and as a coach in their life to model that behavior for them. And so anyway, I know you guys are trying to wrap this up. I'm just uh, no, I, it's, 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 it's great coach. And, and I think, you know, what you're doing and just prolonging the conversation by, because it's so good, right? Yeah. It's authentic. This is I'm clearly just sitting here listening to you speak about these things. It's, it's who you are. And, and that's what we're about is having real conversations with people who are trying to live a certain way hold themselves and the people around them to a standard. And we really appreciate you joining us. And we do look forward to the next time when you come back and we get to ask you all about the successes too. I uh, look forward to it. All right. Thanks coach. Thanks again to coach Daniel Jones, head volleyball coach, Montana state Bobcats go cats. Jamie, obviously I live in Bozeman right down the road from the gym. So I'm a cats fan now, but, uh, Incredible stuff. I'm going to use incredible intentionally here because it's incredible. The stuff that he talked about is gold for coaches, athletes, anybody. Well, and like I, I said it just a second ago, but the second we get into the, what are the six values thing? Like from then on, I'm just, you know, I need to go back and take some notes to, to really kind of codify all of it. But the, the piece of it that, that resonated the most deeply with me is I love all the things that they talked about, right? I love all six of those values. I think they're really powerful and meaningful and important, right? But the thing that landed square on top of me is it has to be yours. It has to be authentically, truly who you are. Because if you're not living it, if you aren't the model as the leader, as the coach, as the person, right? It can be head of your household, 
right? If you haven't taken the time to establish what things matter to you and then try and live them, the people that you're engaging with, the people that you're trying to lead, coach, teach, whatever, aren't going to buy in because at some point in time, if it's somebody else's, you're just saying words and the words and the actions don't match up. Right. And, uh, that is just, it's so, so good. And I don't, like I said, I don't care where or what role you're in, take the time to do the work, to find out who you are in that and what your values are so that you can speak so passionately and powerfully about them that people will want to follow. And, and beyond that, for me, Jamie, it was, I mean, just the simplicity of the goal of the program is sustainable. And how do we do that? It's leave it better than we found it. Yeah. It's not, it's not this incredibly complex thing, but when you hear him talk about leave it better than we found it and it, and everything ties back to that from the jerseys, the roles, the, how they carry themselves, how they live, it's leave it better than we found it. And every definition comes back to what is the legacy of Montana State Volleyball, right? Every definition of those goals, those values, those roles are what is our legacy and how are we going to leave it better, you know? And it's simple. It's, it's simple. It's not complex. But guess what? We've said this from day one, living eyes up, having this value system, having a structured life is simple. It's not complex. Having a great program is not complex. It's just not easy. It's hard every single day. Absolutely. Jamie, I appreciate you. You guys out there listening, we appreciate you. Reach out to us. Uh, Coach mentioned at the end, hey, if there's somebody out there that listens to this and wants to connect, have them reach out to me. So we'll get you connected with him. Let us know. As always, we appreciate you joining us every week to get better, to grow, to find the best version of you. And as always, live eyes up.